0: Lord, I would encourage you to get your Bibles out and uh, join me in 1 Corinthians today. We're going to pause our series through the book of Romans. And uh, if you're visiting or you're new to our church, we, we just basically pick a book and we go verse by verse through it until we're done. We just started the book of Romans, and it's a great time to be new to our church because you're getting in at the very beginning of an amazing book. What I think is, is hands down my favorite book of the Bible and uh, it's just filled with gospel glory. So I would encourage you to come back and join us for that journey. Today, however, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. I want to start, however, in chapter 15 with this, this victory song. O death, Paul writes, where is your victory? Quotes from the Old Testament. O death, where is your sting? And then he says this, the sting of death is sin. That's why we know death. The reason we die, friends, is because we are sinners. That is part of the curse that God has rightly placed upon us, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, original sin. And then he says this, the power of sin is the law. The power of sin is the law. That's a law that we can't fulfill. None of us have kept that law. So apart from Christ, we are doomed and without hope. But thanks be to God, he writes, who gives us, us, the victory. How? Through a risen Savior, through Jesus Christ, the Lord. And so his victory is our victory by faith, and we celebrate this good news. That is why... We do what we do. It's why we're here every single Sunday out of the year. It's why we get out of bed every single day of the year. It's why we want to tell everyone we can find the good news. Sinners can be forgiven. He forgave me. He changed me through Jesus Christ. So, we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. That's what Paul says as he goes Uh, to Corinth and writes a letter to Corinth, and uh, so we're going to be dropping into a different exposition than we've been in in Rome, but uh, Corinth was a significant city, and Paul spent a lot of time there. The church in Corinth, well, they had some issues. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, They had a lot of issues, and Paul worked with them faithfully and patiently uh, over the course of a a number of years. Let's begin this morning in verse 18. Verse 18. Verse 18, I I, I titled this verse just so we know uh, where we're headed here. Moronic or majestic? That's the question. Moronic or majestic? Let's read it. For the word of the cross, that's the gospel, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What an interesting thing the word of the cross, the gospel goes out. And there's two groups described here. There's those who are perishing and those who are being saved, are being saved. So that's those who have embraced the gospel, those who see Christ and have turned from their sins and by faith trusted him as savior and Lord. They are being saved. They have been saved positionally. They are being saved progressively and they will be saved finally when he returns and brings them to himself, or they meet him through death. Two groups of people. Think about this. The proclamation of the good news of the gospel has been going out for hours all around the world. The church has been proclaiming the good news of the gospel, and there's been two responses overall, two predominant responses. One is, there's nothing there. That's, that's, that's just nothing. Like, I don't, I don't get it. In fact, it's foolishness. It's moronic. There's nothing. And other people, sometimes sitting right next to that person, they're saying, it's the power of God. It is my only hope. Jesus is everything. How can that be? What's happening here? Hmm. Now, but about Corinthian culture and Greek philosophy, you've got 400 years before the birth of Jesus. You've got some pretty well-known philosophers happening here. Let's start with Socrates, right? He was put to death in 399 BC. So think of this. His work has already been echoing out, and Plato is just uh, enraptured with his philosophy. And so he, he gets all excited, and he starts a school And then Aristotle joins and studies under Plato. And and so the Greeks, they are just renowned for their brainiacs, their thinking, their philosophizing, and they love oration. They love powerful speaking. They really are into sitting and musing and pondering and, as it would accompany it, uh, intelligence, people who are really smart, They are highly esteemed in Greek culture. Hmm. They want enlightenment. They want sophistication. Paul, you need to wow us. The Corinthians, at least those who are Greeks in Corinth, they're they're inclined to say, Paul, listen, this gospel you're preaching, can you kind of dress it up a bit? Can you make it a little more attractive? to the audience that you're trying to reach here. Come on, Paul. Come on. Now that doesn't happen in our day, does it? Sadly, today there are a lot of gimmicks functioning during Easter. Think of all of the things you see from dancing stormtroopers to motorcycle jumps to People flying into their pulpit on cables and on and on. The the list goes on. You've got to fancy it up a bit, Paul. Hmm. Listen to how he begins. The verse just before this, verse 17, he says, in a sense, I've been sent to preach the gospel and not, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of his power, uh, of its power. My job is not to try to make this something that it's not. I'm not here to try to dress it up or, or, or cover it up or adjust it in any way. I am here to proclaim what is true. For the word of cross is the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Hmm. The word of the cross. What do we mean by this? Just to be clear, today you may come in and you're like, well, what does that mean? What is the word of the cross? Well, there's, the, the word of the cross is, is all of this in its fullness from cover to cover. The whole story of redemption. And up close, the word of the cross would be this God sent his son. The sending of the son, the incarnation, right? The Christmas story. And then the sinlessness of the son. He lived obediently like none of us ever have. He never sinned. And and because of that, he was qualified then to take upon himself the sins of others and pay them. That was the mission from the beginning. His father sent him here to what? To die. To pay for the sins of sinners. Who were hopelessly lost and destined for wrath apart from the salvation of Jesus Christ. And as we celebrate today, the supremacy of the Son is shown in his obedience to the Father, his death, burial, and resurrection, his victory over sin and Satan and hell. He lives. He lives. That's the word of the cross, friend. The word of the gospel. It's the power of God. Some say that's foolishness. The word there is moriah. That's where we get the word moron. It's foolishness. It's stupid. It's folly. Hmm. Left to ourselves, we would all draw that conclusion. That is That is what happens when people who are on their own, in their own minds, that is is the place we would all go when we heard the gospel, but for God's grace. Richard Dawkins may have heard of him. He says it's absolutely safe to say that if you meet someone who claims not to believe in evolution, that person is ignorant, stupid, or insane. Okay, Moriah. That's not a surprise to us. The the fact that Richard Dawkins Dawkins writes books and publicizes his conclusion shouldn't surprise us. Now, he has a lot of influence over a lot of other people who have drawn the same conclusion, but he puts words to something that is instinctual for those who are perishing. It's foolishness. There's nothing there. People believe the Bible. You must be insane. Ernest Hemingway: All thinking men are atheists. <laughs> this is like so concise. Um, what would we say to that? We'd just say, "No, that's that's not true. That that's just simply not true." But it's understandable. Because those who are perishing, they see folly and foolishness. We who are being saved, we see power. The contrast is as distinct as dark and light. Black and white. It is clear. Andrew Carnegie said this, I don't believe in God. My God is patriotism. Teach a man to be a good citizen, and you have solved the problem of life. Ooh. We have to be careful that we don't combine our patriotism and wrap it up in the gospel. Those two things are separate, and we are wise to keep them distinct. It's good to be proud to be an American, love love your home, but that's not the gospel. Let's be clear. And Jesus died, yes, for Americans, but he died for the nations. And that's our goal. Build the kingdom, friends. Build the kingdom. That's our first task. Jesse Ventura, you remember this? He said, religion is a crutch for weak-minded people. And this is just what I would love to ask Jesse Ventura. Um, When Lazarus was raised... What would he say Jesus was for him? Only a crutch? He's far more than a crutch. He's like life. He's not even the ambulance or the gurney. He's not even the hospital. He is everything. So if, if someone looks at me and says, oh, you're, you're, you just need a crutch. I'm like, I absolutely need a crutch. I need far more than a crutch, friends. I was dead And he breathed life into me and made me live. Hmm. This is the reality, though. We've got to understand this. There are two groups of people in the world today. There are some who see power and some who see folly. We need to understand and show grace. Those who see folly... They see folly instinctually. That's what sinners do. We are inclined to that by ourselves. We all see folly. The fact that anyone here sees power should cause us pause. What's going on here? Many reject the gospel as total foolishness. Some believe the gospel is the very power of God. Let's read on and see how Paul builds this out. Verse 19 through 21 The futility of human wisdom. The futility of human wisdom. God gives us a glimpse here now into his purpose in how he made salvation happen. How he brings it to pass. This is part of just an amazing little glimpse behind the curtain, as it were, to see, Lord, why do you save the way you save? Well, here's one answer to that. Listen to these verses. For it is written, God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise, Paul says? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? And then he concludes this. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, this was his purpose, the world did not know God through wisdom. God ordained that no one is going to find salvation through their own wisdom, their own thinking, philosophizing, or musing. The world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. It pleases God through the folly, he says, you know, folly, the foolishness, the moriah of what we preach, which is what? Christ crucified. That is how God has chosen to save. God can save a million different ways. This is, in his wisdom, the best way, with the best goal, and the best result. What he's chosen to do. Hmm. God has targeted with a bull's eye human pride the inclination of the sinful heart the same inclination that was in lucifer i want that glory i want to be god i want to make the call i want to be the wise one the decider i will self reliance Self sufficiency. Oh, think of the ministry of Jesus. Think of how many times he targeted this when he went after the Pharisees. At the core, the problem with the Pharisees is what? They were not depending upon God, they were looking to their own works. I remember when our kids were really, really little, just learning how to talk, right? And and you're trying to help them out, and, and their instinct is, I do, I do. I do. Okay, oh, fine. Cool. Go ahead. You know, trip fall. I do. That's in us. We don't grow out of that as sinners. It is instinctual. I do. My will. My way. When I want. The way I want it. I. Will be sovereign. God says not in salvation. I'm going to make it really, really clear. I'm going to target the way of salvation with a bullseye that utterly destroys any opportunity for us to say, I did it. It was me. Have you seen this? Self-made. We used to watch an auto fix-up show years ago. I don't even remember the name of it now, but guy guy, he was like introducing his show, and he's like, boom, self-made. And he had this empire of businesses that he had built. It's interesting because the show's not on anymore, but the, uh, the inclination's in me. It's in you. Here's the thing. If I can claim credit, who gets the glory? I do. I did this. Or at least I can say, you can blame me a little bit. I mean, right? Jersey, name on the jersey. It's so in us, friends, what we see play out in the world of sporting events with all the boasting and all the pride. That inclination is in all of us. And it flies in the face of what God delights in. God delights in those who praise him, not who praise themselves. So Paul, sure, he could have come to to Corinth and and he could have wowed it. Paul was unbelievably intelligent. He He could have squashed their greatest philosophers like that. But he didn't. Because that wasn't the point. He didn't want to empty the cross of the power of Christ and make it about Paul. Hmm. Leon Morris, the commentator, says this, Paul is saying that God, in his wisdom, chose to save people by the way of the cross and by no other way. The word pleased, when it says it pleased the Lord, it means that he, he fixes attention on God's free and sovereign choice. It was never His plan that people should come to know Him by their exercise of wisdom. This is so important for us to understand. Believers, we need to understand this. Sometimes it's helpful for us to kind of like revisit when you were saved. How how did that happen? How did He make me live? Why did He do it the way He did it? So the inclination of the Corinthians would be to say of of, of salvation. Well, listen, Paul, I don't know about what you're saying, but I just know this. I was enlightened enough. I I was intelligent enough. I, I I figured it all out. I had enough. I did it. It was me. But behind all those words. Is the real conclusion. I deserve this. I I merit. I do. I merit. No believer in glory will ever say such a thing. It will never be spoken in glory before the Lord Almighty. No one will say any of that We will sing forever amazing grace. Totally amazing. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Hmm. Why do you see, Christian? Why do you see the power of God when others see only foolishness? You ever ask that question? What, why? In a home, two brothers grow up, experience the same things. Or, you know, co-workers attend the same conference. They hear the same speaker. Or you sit next to someone in church. You hear the gospel. Present. Why is it foolishness to one and the power of God for salvation to another? Paul writes this in chapter 2 to build out what he says in chapter 1. He says this, we impart this, this gospel, in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, okay? He has just elevated any inclination of philosophizing to a level high above. He says we interpret spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, those who have capacity to understand the gospel, spiritual truths. Then he says this, the natural person, we understand that to be the the one who is perishing, the natural person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly. Same word. It's it's moronic. They're folly. When you hear them, it's like nothing. I, I got nothing there. That's foolishness, man. What are you talking about? And then he adds this, and this blows my mind. He is not able Key word there. We're talking about ability now. Capacity. They can't understand. They can't understand. Because they are spiritually discerned. Unless the Holy Spirit stirs in the heart of one who is perishing, he will hear the gospel a thousand times and hear folly and foolishness. But, God, God saves sinners. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, friends, don't just think that's back then. I'm talking right now. He does this every day. Even when you, believer, were dead, running toward the fires of hell, saying that's folly and foolishness, I got nothing there. He made us alive. He he made us alive. How? Together with Christ. It's always connected with the gospel. No other way. There's no other name given among men by which they must be saved. It's, It's always with Christ in the gospel. And then he says this, by grace you've been saved. Friends, that word grace, you know what that means? No merit of your own. It's the undeserved blessing and favor of God on all of us who were perishing. That's what made the difference in your life. Sovereign grace. It's the sovereign grace of God upon the proclamation of gospel that takes sinners who not only hear folly, but they are unable to hear anything but folly and says, power! Power! Come alive, Lazarus. Come out of that tomb. Live. He gives us the will to believe. And what do we do? We see the heart of Christ. We run to Him. We feel the weight of our sins. We confess them in repentance and in faith. We trust Jesus as Lord and Savior forever. That's the difference maker in the equation. Not I do, but you did. You did. It's a triumphant defeat that Jesus accomplishes this gospel with. Look at verses 22 to 25, a triumphant defeat. Paul says, listen, Jews, well, they demand signs, and, and Greeks, they seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block. Yeah, it is. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. And it's foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those who are called Note that. Come alive. That's the call. That's the call. Come alive. Both Jews and Greeks. That's to the ends of the earth. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. All of a sudden, like a light switch, you move from foolishness and folly, nothing but stumbling block and, 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 and nonsense to everything. My only hope. For the foolishness of God, this is kind of a, a sarcastic way of saying it, the foolishness of God is wiser than, than, than men. And the weakness of God, if it was possible for God to be weak, well, that's stronger than men. If you're going to contrast anything, realize the, 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 the slightest foolishness of God, which there is none, just to be clear. God is not foolish at all. But if it was possible for him to, in any way to be foolish, it would be wiser than the wisest of all the men. Line them up. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, morons. It works, doesn't it? Compared to God, the wisest of men, they are fools. Compared to God, the strongest of men, line them up. Weak weak. Hmm. Paul, we we just want you to emphasize the signs. If you could just stay away from this idea of a, a suffering savior, you know, the Jews, they just really had a hard time with this. Listen, Paul, we want a strong deliverer. The Messiah was not supposed to be weak. He was supposed to overcome the Romans, like put down the oppressors. Of the romans and 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 deal with this establish a political kingdom we want a king not a suffering servant will you emphasize that paul stop talking about crucifixion or the greeks paul would you please just emphasize the wisdom of jesus he was such a great teacher he was brilliant think of the way he handled the pharisees think just emphasize that Don't emphasize the crucifixion of Christ. Why why would anybody be drawn to that? You want to fill your church, Paul? You need to change your message. You need to adjust things a bit. Friends, that is nothing new. In our day today, there are churches around the world that lack the confidence in the simple, straightforward gospel of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah, but it's Easter, man. We got to drum it up somehow. We got to do something to get the people in. You know, there are churches that are giving money out to people to get them into church. There's all a litany of, of things that people are doing. All the gimmicks. Well, how are you going to fill your church? <laughs> Preach the gospel. Just, just, just do what has been working for thousands of years. Preach the gospel. Keep it simple. What would Paul say to us in our day? Well, the Jews, they, they, they want this. And, and the Greeks, they, they want wisdom. But the Americans, well, they... they They seek, some of these ring out. We want the gospel that affirms me. The things that I like. Or who I want to be. Or whatever I decide to be in and of myself. On any given day. I want a gospel that makes much of me. And the I do. Or this. How about a philosophical gospel? We just we just want to take the Bible and turn it into like this book of just like not really authoritative, and we don't we don't really want to be preached at. We love to just kind of engage it, you know. Let's discuss it and do it, take it or leave it, right? Don't you know, don't feel just be inspired today. Let's philosophize a little bit. Well, the God that I worship would never do that. So that verse is gone. Or the God that I worship, he's like this. Well, those verses, they don't really work with that. So they're gone. You see what I mean? How about the entertain me gospel? There was a period of time in the churches that I worked at where It kind of just seemed like every new book on church growth strategies we had to read as a staff. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. Just kill me quickly. I mean, how many books do we have to just go through page? Oh, that's an interesting observation. Maybe we should give cupcakes to everybody every Sunday. And then that would fill our church. Right? I mean, go down the line, just just fill it up. But just to be clear, that's not why we have donuts today. Okay? If you go to take a donut, and that's the reason, don't take a donut. It must be said. Eating donuts to the glory of God. Is that possible? Entertain me, preacher. Where's all the stuff, the smoke, the lights, the rock and band, right? I am here for a show. And I'll put up with a little gospel. Friends, we gotta spot that inclination. What do we have the confidence in? Are we emptying the cross of its power with a bunch of gimmicks? The seeker-sensitive church movement has gutted churches got to understand this our paul is christ crucified that's what we preach that's what we put our confidence in as we gather maybe the more recent one is the woke gospel this is a hard one i'll tell you it, you, you got to really stay up on this because if you miss a day on social media or the news you can all of a sudden be on the wrong side of history, and you've got to work hard to stay woke. I mean, it's, it's like, what are we going to preach on today? Well, there's like five things i got to hit because they all unfolded this week, and now the culture's just like, over here, and we're going to cancel this, and we're not going to go here, and we're going to never fly on this airline. and That's not the call. That's not it. We preach Christ crucified. It seems too simple, Pastor. It, it, it just just doesn't seem polished up enough. It's just not. It's just not pretty. It's not attractive, uh, Pastor. I'm just worried that maybe it's just not relevant anymore. It just seems kind of old, antiquated. What did we say last week? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Don't don't ever feel that impulse and give way to it. Not ashamed of the gospel. The power of God to salvation for all who believe. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. God, the holy God creator, the one to whom all will give an account. Sinful man, Adam and Eve rebelled. We are conceived in sin, born in sin. We willfully choose sin. It's who we are. We sin because we're sinners. We have a serious problem. God, in his great love, in his love, he planned of old, before the ages, to send his son to be the sinless savior, to take our sin upon himself, to pay for the wrath of God that I deserve on the cross, to say it is finished, to be buried, and after three days, To rise from the dead. Hmm. Offering forgiveness and freedom and eternal life in his name. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's our gospel. It's simple. It's so simple that it's almost unbelievable. But it's the power of God. What do you mean? I don't have to do? No, he did. The work is done. He, he finished the work. Huh. Which lands us in verse 26. Forever. Okay, think of this. This is our forever experience. Our only boast. For consider your calling. That's let there be light. Uh, like, come out, Lazarus. Come forth. Consider your calling. When he made you alive... Muse upon that for a while, Christian. Look back and ask yourself. Paul says of the Corinthians, okay, it's just in case they were running on the self esteem gospel. He's about to do a little work for them here, okay? We're pretty awesome. We're winners. We're tens. That's what my teacher said. Well, Paul's going to say something a little different. Not many of you, Corinthians, were wise according to worldly standards. He called you. Not many of you were powerful. He called you. Not many of you were of noble birth, and He called you to life. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Whoa. All of a sudden, there's a layer to the gospel that we individually would never even think of. God chose what is foolish, the Mariah. The morons of the world, he chose us to shame the wise. He chose what is weak, that's us, the weaklings of the world, to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not. That's like the most insulting thing you could say in Corinth. You are a thing that is not. You're a nothing. And Paul says, that's us. He chose us. The nothings. To bring to nothing the things that are. Why did he do this? What's his goal, his motive in this? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It'll never happen. No one will ever say, Well, I know why he chose me. I don't know about the rest of you. But obviously, he chose me because, well, he knew. You know, we think this way sometimes. Oh, man, if God could just save Michael Jordan. Oh, wow. Imagine the impact. Catch yourself there. Catch yourself. I would love for God to save Michael Jordan like I would love for him to save any sinner. But we don't need celebrity salvations to give credibility to the gospel. Indeed, the opposite. Just the opposite. God loves to save the things that are not to shame human pride and to show how futile it is, how empty a boast it is, how short-lived it is. That's why you're saved, Christian. He chose to save you, to set his love eternally upon you, not because you deserved it, but because he is worthy. And he wants to make you a trophy of his magnificent grace for the ages to come. No boast in me. No no boast at all. Because of him, Paul writes, you're saved. Oh, yes. Because this is where it starts and it never ends. This is our song. This is how it goes. Forever. Because of him, you're a Christian. Who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness. That's Jesus. Jesus, he he went from being foolishness to wisdom and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You want to get your brag on? Brag on Jesus. The one who saved you when you didn't deserve it at all. That's the boast that we have. God designed salvation to eliminate any other boast than in Him alone. That's our God. The God of the Bible, that is the God who is. And he has disclosed. It's amazing to me that he would tell us this. He has disclosed this clearly to us in his word so that we can get our boast on now. Not just then, when we see more clearly. We can see it clearly now and praise him with greater joy and fervency. I will not boast in anything, we sing, No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ. In His death and resurrection. We preach Christ crucified. Where was this song written out of? This passage. That's our boast. It's a simple boast. But an unending boast. Why should I gain? I'm the sinner. Why should I ever gain from His reward? He was exalted to sit at the right hand in victory. And I am given the glory and righteousness of Christ to share in His exaltation? Why should I gain? I am the sinner, the rebel. I can't give an answer. I'll tell you what I can't say. Well, I I was smarter. I figured it out. I earned it. You can't say that. Boasting is excluded there. I can't answer why I should gain from His reward. The end of the day, the only answer is He chose. He chose to make me an object of His love and grace. And He made me live. And this I know with all my heart. I believe this. Because He has given me life and the will to believe, His wounds have paid my ransom. It wasn't just a potential salvation that he accomplished on the cross. He actually died and paid for my sins there on that tree. Our response this morning, what a text, friends. What, what a passage this is. A glimpse into the mind of God in salvation. I would ask you this morning, as you've heard the gospel, the good news that we celebrate today. You, maybe, maybe you came today and, you, and you're here mostly out of obligation, right? It's what we do on, on Easter. You know, mom said I had to be here. Maybe you're here because it's tradition, right? This is what we do. It's, a, you know, I'm a Pickens. We go to Easter and rest of the Sundays, eh, but Easter, okay. Maybe you're here and nothing I have said today means a thing. You just hear blah, 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 blah. What if that's the case? Listen now, listen. Look to Jesus. Look again. Listen to what He did for you. Look at the love of God that He gave to save you from your sins and run to Him. Run to Him. Pray. Lord, open my eyes. Stir in my heart. Bring me life according to Your Word. Save me today. Save me. Pray that prayer. Trust in Jesus. Jesus said to Him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way to be saved. There is no other hope for you than Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. I promise you that. I promise you with confidence you will be saved. Christian, if you're here today, these two things. um, Just think. He saved me. He saved me. No boast in me. No merit of my own. He made me live for His glory. And so, gratitude and praise forever and certainly today we love this day this is easter man we're together and we will be celebrating forever our gratitude and praise for all that he has done our only boast is in jesus christ crucified buried and risen let's pray Oh God, we adore you for the gift of your grace. I give praise to you and thank you that I see my Savior and feel anything in my heart, that I see, see Christ in the work and his love and his accomplishment and, and, and say thank you for saving me. No merit of my own, all glory to you, Jesus. I thank you for your good grace that you lavish upon undeserving people like me and all of us here. I pray, oh God, if there would be any here today that have yet to turn from their sins and trust Jesus as Savior, I pray that you would give them the will to, even now, stir in their hearts, help the words I proclaim to land in power and wisdom in Christ in their heart and cause them to live Cause them to trust Jesus and repent of their sins and and rely on Him alone, not on their works or their goodness or whatever they may have been trusting, whatever idols of this world would lure their hearts to worship. Oh Lord, turn them in your love and your grace, turn them to Jesus, to worship and adore and treasure Him eternally. Thank you, Father, for the way you build your church. You get all the glory both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.